<laughs> Hello, Emerging Riders. Welcome. We're so glad that you could join us this week as we put away our teacups and pull out some wine and try our darndest to stay on track. My name is Stephanie, and I'm joined by my best friend, Kayla, and my sister, Jordan. Hello. Hi. We'll be taking a bit of a break from our usual deep dives. Today, we'll be continuing our discussion on dialogue with a few particular examples that we liked or didn't like, as the case may be for some. To start us off, Jordan is going to read us an example of some well-written chillins. <laughs> and by chillins, she means children, because this isn't the South. <laughs> so when <laughs> they stayed in the South. Yes. Oh, I think I picked that up for my sister, who was also not from the South. You imposters. Um, I say y'all. I don't know. Ugh, that's terrible. And that's a South thing, too, right there that I just did. So, I'm learning so much tonight. <laughs> there's <laughs> one thing in, that's really hard to write, I think, especially well, are children. Doing dialogue for children is often messy and really bad. I can't usually read things that have children because... People, you know, spell out their speech impediments or overdo their mispronounced words or their little idiosyncrasies from just being children. Or they talk weirdly adult. Mm -hmm. Like they sound mm -hmm. way too smart, way out of their age range. Yeah. I think if, if you have a child that's stated to be like above average intelligence, and I've read a thing where there was a child like that, but the parents still corrected them on certain little things and it still felt like a child. Yeah, even even <clears throat> if they have above average intel intelligence, that just means that they're more able to understand certain things. Mm -hmm. They're still going to have a child's brain, mm -hmm. and developmentally, that means they're going to only be able to comprehend certain things. They're going to react in certain ways. Their prefrontal cortex still hasn't developed properly, so they're still going to do things that don't make sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, having kids, that's definitely the truth. The first example I have is from a fan fiction we haven't shared any of those specifically on here, but it's by the author Kittenshift17. Um, she writes Harry Potter fan fiction for the most part. Um, the one I'm going to read is from one called Tip of My Tongue, and it's uh, the synopsis is when Draco's wife is caught cheating and pregnant to another man, Draco must fight for custody of his son, Scorpius. Hermione, determined to ensure her son Aurelian grows up knowing his brother without Draco finding out, somehow winds up tangled in the middle of his impending divorce. Can she help it if she also keeps finding herself tangled in tangled in his embrace and liking it? I think I've read that. Yeah? That sounds really familiar. You probably have, because it's, it's relatively recently updated. Um, I asked her specifically for per permission. <laughs> I asked her specifically for permission to read a little portion of this for you guys. And we'll be putting her name and the title for the story in the in the description for you guys. Yes, in case you want to read it, because it's lovely. Um, the child that she has written in it is very, very well done. They do a lot of things that I laugh and say, oh yeah, my kids do that. And they have good little little kid logic, I guess, is one thing she's good at with her dialogue on this one. So I'm going to start. Why don't we get out of here for the day, Yeah. Draco suggested to the child. Your mother's dead on her feet, and I'm sure Scorpius is lonely at the manor. You run on home with your mom, and I'll go grab Scorpius, all right? Promise? Aurelian asked. Draco nodded. 
Swear on my magic, son, Draco told him, offering the boy his hand to shake and chuckling when Aurelian shook his hand smartly. Mummy, we have to go home. You sleep, and Scorp and I will play with Daddy. Aurelian, you can't just begin calling Draco Daddy, the witch protested, frowning, worriedly. But he's my daddy, Aurelian said. He said he would be, and he looks like me. We have the same hair, see? He twisted in Draco's lap, pulling on a lock of Draco's hair and showing it to his mother while leaning close enough, allowing the identically colored strands of hair on Draco's head and Aurelian's head to mix together. Granger, it's fine, Draco said gently, shaking his head as the witch wrung her hands together. It's not fine. What if someone hears him? Granger hissed, frowning at him fiercely. How old is the kid in this story? Five. That feels pretty typical of a five-year-old with, with the sort of logic that was portrayed of, well, he looks like me and he said he would be, so he's got to be my daddy. Yeah. And I feel like the movement and, like, five-year-olds are so, like, antsy that mm-hmm. moving around antsy. and, yeah, it really felt genuine, whereas most stuff with kids I cannot read. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a really hard time. I just don't generally read kid things, but I've liked all her stuff, so I gave her kid things a chance, and they were all really, really good and well-written, so. It's definitely from someone who interacts with kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, may- maybe I'm going out on a limb here and saying that. Either that or she's just really, uh, just a really good writer. <laughs> really <laughs> understands their mind. Yeah, just really imaginative and is like, ah, I'm pretty sure this is what kids are like. But mm-hmm. it it feels like someone who interacts with children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so a lot of those. In- yeah, the little weird things they do. Some earlier in there, uh, Draco says some sort of British swear. And he says, oh, daddy, swear jar. And I'm like, yes, my kids comment on every single bad word they hear. <laughs> that is so accurate. You can say like a whole paragraph. And if there's a bad word in there, that's all they hear. This is the only thing they heard. And they could be not paying attention to you at all. They're watching the TV and like singing along with whatever. And you say one thing and they turn around. And they're like, what did you say? <laughs> Or it's the first time they've heard it and you think they didn't hear it at all. And then mm-hmm. like later that day, they'll just pop it out. And you're like, what? Why? Why did you know that that was a word that How you needed to you pay attention to? That was a bad word that you're not supposed to say. <laughs> uh, that happens all the time in our house. So much. Yeah. But I think doing children well is something that is difficult. I don't. Even though I have kids, I don't feel like I could write children well. My brain just doesn't understand their logic enough to be able to do what Kitten Shift 17 did with that and make it a little kid character that feels real and able to be paid attention to because there's not tons of, you know, listing out his speech impediments or, you know, you can really overdo baby talk. Mm, Yeah. I feel like children, too... Uh, or need so much nurturing and care that you really have to show within the novel if you bring a child in that the adults in the novel are paying attention to the child. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I've read things where a kid pops up and then there's huge long scenes where nothing yeah. is happening with the kids. But with that fic in particular, they do wonder what the kids are doing mm-hmm. or account for where they are if they're not in the room if they're sleeping or whatever i feel like fanfic can almost be a better venue for that because it's usually released in an episodic way chapter by chapter Mm -hmm. and so fanfic can be a little bit more like meandering and delve more into character development than just plot because it's like oh you just get an episode so you don't necessarily need this intense like action plot 
Yeah. Obviously, fanfic's pretty dessert diverse (laughs) but i feel like with things that are episodic it's easier to be like well this chapter we're just gonna be devoted to like time with the kid and developing that or Mm -hmm. time with the best friend and so stuff like that can really shine when you take the time to do dialogue and characterization well yeah Yeah, i agree you can see i guess this is diverging from dialogue a little bit but Mm -hmm. from your like episodic allowing to delve into things mm-hmm. not necessarily as like action plot heavy um that happens in like manga sometimes mm-hmm. where even if it's like a, a action heavy story because they're doing it chapter by chapter they have some that are like sometimes filler but sometimes just like these are the characters taking a break <laughs> they're going to the beach Here's their oh, swimsuits. <laughs> yeah. Beach I, anyway, though. <laughs> I read a lot of fan fiction and listen to a lot of fictional podcasts. And so I really, really enjoy episodic uh, ways to tell stories. And it's just, I feel like TV series can kind of do that, but it's very hit or miss. And so I enjoy the, the different things that can shine in that sort of writing. I do too. So back to dialogue. Um, <laughs> I had pulled aside an excerpt from Winnie the Pooh, the original stories, and I felt like it kind of flowed along well talking about uh, things from a children's perspective. And I just feel like the the whole writing in Winnie the Pooh is very fun. It's got that kind of backwards logic that kids sometimes have where you're like, yeah, that kind of makes sense, I guess. <laughs> Not really, though, but it's fun. And also, I just really love Winnie the Pooh, so I thought it would be a fun excuse for (laughs) for me to read some Winnie the Pooh. I wonder if you've got such a thing as a balloon about you. A balloon? Yes. I just said to myself coming along, I wonder if Christopher Robin has such a thing as a balloon about him. I just said it to myself, thinking of balloons and wondering. What do you want a balloon for? You said. Winnie the Pooh looked round to see that nobody was listening, put his paw to his mouth, and said in a deep whisper, Honey! But you don't get honey with balloons! I do, said Pooh. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. I love it. It just makes me so happy whenever I read it. Anyway, though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I kind of started in the middle of a scene there, but by the time you got partway through it you could definitely tell which character was which Mm. and both characters have that sort of backwards kid logic because one of them is a young boy and the other one is a A bear (laughs) a bear a very little brain (laughs) who is his toy and if he was playing imagination Mm. or playing pretend with his toy would have similar logic so Mm. i just felt like uh, A.A. Milne did a really good job at getting across that these stories are supposed to be brought forth from, like, mm-hmm. his child's playing. Yeah. That's definitely what comes across in Winnie the Pooh. There's sort of that fantastical pretend anything can happen and we can use whatever we want for whatever purpose sort of mentality mm-hmm. that children have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like there's certain types of character that really, the way that they speak should include a little bit of nonsense. Mm -hmm. And so it's really great when books can actually set forth with that. Mm -hmm. I think it portrays a really great example of the logic of kids. Like, you can't get honey with a balloon. (laughs) 
Well, I do. I have a foolproof <laughs> idea that will definitely work. With a single balloon, I will float into the tree and I will get my honey. <laughs> oh, yeah. My kids have some ridiculous ideas and they are always dead set that it will work. And I say, okay, all right, we'll try it. We'll see. <laughs> and then five seconds later, it didn't work. Yep. Like the giant band-aid. <laughs> yeah, just earlier today... Uh, one of the kids came in from playing in the pool, announcing that he had cut his finger and went to go get a Band-Aid. And he pulled out this gigantic Band-Aid that was the size of his hand. I was like, I think that's going to be too big for you. And he's like, no, it's not. It's perfect. <laughs> and he went to go put it on and ended up Band-Aiding. Band-Aiding? Bandaging. Ba bandaging. Thank you. <laughs> Band-Aiding. <laughs> two of his fingers together because it was too big for the single mm -hmm. finger and then ran off to go play in the pool and then came back in like a minute later and was like, it didn't work. It wasn't the perfect band-aid. It wasn't waterproof. <laughs> yeah. So he went in the bathroom and got the weird bacon band-aids. I found at Roth's or <laughs> Ross, Ross dress for less and was like, are these waterproof mom? I was like, uh, they're plasticky. I think, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I didn't, I was outside barbecuing, so I did not know that story, and that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving slightly further up in the age range, but still an example of, like, more of the whimsical sort of um, thought processes of younger individuals, and also I felt just a really good example of dialogue accurately portraying character personalities, which to me is really important. I feel like dialogue for each individual character should be like the way that they speak should portray who they are as people, hmm. because how we as individuals speak says a lot about us. Like I talk in a very matter of fact, kind of dry way. And that's just the sort of person I am. Like, I'm very straightforward. I think in a very, like, linear, focused way. And so that's what my speech portrays. Because I'm very focused. And I tend to stay on topic and on task. And I have a one-track mind. And mine is goofy as heck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so to me, it's important that dialogue also portrays that about people. So I'll be reading an excerpt from Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery. Mm. And this will also be in the middle of a scene, but it's near the beginning of the book. What's the matter now? demanded Marilla. I don't dare go out, said Anne in the tone of a martyr, relinquishing all earthly joys. If I can't stay here, there's no use in my loving Green Gables. And if I go out there and get acquainted with all those trees and flowers and the orchard and the brook, I'll not be able to help loving it. It's hard enough now, so I won't make it any harder. I want to go out so much. Everything seems to be calling to me. Anne, Anne, come out to us. Anne, Anne, we want a playmate. But I, it's better not. There's no use in loving things if you have to be torn from them, is there? And it's so hard to keep from loving things, isn't it? And that was why I was so glad when I thought I was going to live here. I thought I'd have so many things to love and nothing to hinder me. But that brief dream is over. I am resigned to my fate now, so I don't think I'll go out for fear. I'll get unre unresigned again. But is the, what is the name of that geranium on the window so please? That's the apple-scented geranium. Oh, I don't mean that sort of a name. 
I mean, just a name you can give it yourself. Didn't you give it a name? May I give it one then? May I call it, let me see. Bonnie would do. May I call it Bonnie while I'm here? Oh, do let me. Goodness, I don't care, but where on earth is the sense of naming a geranium? <laughs> That's oh, as man. dramatic as I am. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot love things if I must let them go, but, but I love so many things. That's like my personal monologue. Anne is such an out there character, and I feel like all of her dialogue really accurately portrays who she is as a person, where she just throws herself fully at everything. And the other characters around her, the way that they react to her and how they respond to her accurately portrays who they are as people. Like, Marilla is a very cut and dry kind of person. Mm -hmm. Like me, by the time I turn 60 and I'm old and grumpy. Mm -hmm. So her responses are very short, nonsensical, very practical. So I just thought that those were really great examples of character portrayal and dialogue. Yeah, I agree. That was very good. Digging into the character and staying true to what they are and who they are as a person. And both of them are so dramatically different. Mm, the, like the contrast. Yeah. Yeah. Really stood out. Right away, as soon as the characters are introduced, you get a feel of who they are before you even really see a whole lot of interaction mm. with them because of how they interact. Anne is very loud, and so she speaks up very early on, and so you get a feel of who she is, and then you get ideas of who these other characters are based on how they're reacting mm. to her and responding to her. Did you have one that you wanted to read for us, Kayla? I guess you brought a couple. Yeah, I have Welcome to Nightville, the novel by mm. Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner. I brought it to one of our other Tea, well, one of our tea times that talked about tone, I believe. Yeah, it was tone. Mm -hmm. But it's such a good example for so many different things. And I really feel like the dialogue is just as strange and gives the same surreal vibe as the novel. Mm -hmm. So that's why I chose it. So this is an excerpt from the first chapter, and I'll just start it out. Old woman Josie, who lived out by the car lot, had come in with a great number of cheap plastic flamingos. She had carried them in a large canvas sack and emptied them onto the counter like loose change. It is not for myself that I give up these little ones, old woman Josie said, addressing a bare wall several feet to the right of Jackie, in a strong formal voice making the occasional sweeping gesture with her palm. But for the future. <laughs> Josie stopped, her palm still out. Jackie decided the speech was over. All right, man, I'll give you eleven dollars, she said. Old woman Josie tightened her eyes at the bare wall. Ah, uh, okay, Jackie softened, prodding at one of the flamingos and looking at its weak plastic belly. Tell you what, I'll give you a good night's sleep. Old woman Josie shrugged. I'll take it. <laughs> a good night's sleep was a wildly generous offer. The flamingos were worthless, but there were so many of them and Jackie couldn't help herself. She never refused an item. Be careful not to touch those directly, Josie said after she fit was finished being dead. <laughs> <laughs> so you can tell that the dialogue is just as strange and um, suggests the surreal sci-fi creepy little town as the rest of the novel. And I feel like it really fits in well. The dialogue definitely does a great job at um, 
meshing in and making the characters feel like they fit in within this strange mm. reality that is Night Vale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because everything about it has this uh, uncomfortable edge to it. Like, mm. there's these otherworldly things going on here that to them is very normal, which to us creates this dissonance of discomfort. Mm-hmm. And the way the characters interact with each with each other with each <laughs> with each other only like exemplifies this discomfort. Mm. Yeah, it's if you're gonna have an unsettling world, I think it's super important to do unsettling dialogue and mm-hmm. just keep people on their toes as they're reading. It's a good sounded like a good way to do that. Yeah, for sure. So I think we'll move back into Kayla because she has another example this time going over conflict, which I think is a really important thing to make sure you have going on in your conversations because conflict helps move things forward. So what was it you were going to read from this time? Yeah, this is a little uh, clip from Circe by Madeline Miller, and it's a retelling of the Circe, Circe mythology Boy, those Greek names are going to be tough. <laughs> and this is between her. This is a scene between her and her brother Aetes. Maybe, maybe that's how I pronounce it. Anyways, there Aetes said, leaning close to my ear. Look, he was pointing to a mortal, a man I had not noticed before. Not quite so huddled as the rest. He was young. His head shaved clean in the Egyptian style. The skin of his face fitting comfortably into its lines. I liked him. His eye, his clear eyes were not smoked with wine like everybody else's. Of course you liked him, Aetes said. It is Daedalus. He is one of the wonders of the mortal world, a craftsman almost equal to a god. When I am my own king, I will collect such glories around me too. Oh, and when will you be king? Soon, he said. Father is giving me a kingdom. I thought he was joking. And may I live there? No, he said. It is mine. You will have to get your own. <laughs> Freaking rude. <laughs> I have a little bit of the uh, bit left that I want to read. His arm was through mine as it ever was, yet suddenly all was different, his voice swinging free as if we were two creatures tied to separate cords instead of to each other. When I croaked, after this, father plans to take me straight. He said it as if there was as if it was no more than a point of minor interest. I felt like I was turning to stone. I clung to him. How could you not tell me, I began. You cannot leave me. What will I do? You do not know what it was like before. He drew my arms back from his neck. There is no such, there is no need for such a scene. You knew this would come. I cannot rot all my life underground with nothing of my own. What of me, I wanted to ask. Shall I rot? So I really like this scene because I think it shows conflict in a realistic way mm-hmm. because much of what she feels is left unsaid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you yeah. get that, like, longing. You get that there's tension between them between from the things that they're saying to each other, but just as in real life where a lot of conflict uh, is felt and not mm-hmm. said... I feel like that was really well portrayed. And there was some good uh, physical cues there, mm-hmm. like him leaning close to her ear at the beginning and then taking his arm in hers as they were having this conflict. Um, I feel like oftentimes people write arguments and fights in like emotional scenes like this. Mm-hmm. 
with either no physical cues or big dramatic like he stormed out or she threw things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not that uh, we are close, but things are changing and I'm putting on airs that everything's fine, sort of. Yeah. Oh, and that was at the beginning, uh, at pretty close to the beginning of the book. So that wasn't a huge spoiler or anything. But I feel like Madeline Miller, in throughout Cersei, writes conflict really well and executes it superbly. And so I wanted to highlight one of the earlier moments of that. That was good. It was interesting. I want to read it. You should. Okay, so to close us off, uh, I'm going to read an excerpt from Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte? I think so. Emily Bronte. Uh, This was originally supposed to be Jordan's, but she's... Sleepy. She's a little too far gone. Okay, (laughs) so this is a ways into the book, and we'll be starting in the middle of a scene again, just to let you know. Devil Daddy was his answer. And what do you learn from Daddy? I continued. He jumped at the fruit. I raised it higher. What does he teach you? I asked. Not said he, but to keep out of his gate. Daddy cannot bide me because I swear to him. Ah, and the devil teaches you to swear at daddy, I observed. Aye, nay, he drawled. Who then? Heathcliff. (laughs) And I'm just gonna stop because I'm done. Um, (laughs) So everything about that made me uncomfortable. The actual layout of it was fine. I could tell who was talking for the most part. There was actually a spot where you probably wouldn't be able to tell based on my reading because I happened to guess correctly, but there wasn't a proper line break, and so I wasn't actually positive that the girl was still talking, (laughs) but I just happened to do the voice that I was doing for the girl, so unfortunately, (laughs) that uh, question in my mind did not translate over into my reading. Anyway, so what are your guys' thoughts on that? It made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> I hated it. Um, I will say sometimes sometimes a little bit can be lost in translation when you're reading an older text because mm-hmm. the slang or the common phrasings are no longer common. Yeah, daddy but... is not an innocent thing to say anymore. It's really uncomfortable. Unless a little child is like calling for their daddy. Yeah. And like even outside of that, that was just an amount of like cringy mm-hmm. tension maybe it's supposed to be romantic maybe it's just tension I don't know but uh, I hated it yeah skimming through that book there were so many chunks and I was like oh this is weird and this is weird and I don't know I don't really read a lot of older stuff so I don't have a lot to compare it to but it's some definitely weird dialogue that didn't hold up over time <laughs> Yeah, if you read something like Jane Austen, the dialogue is definitely older yeah, based but on not, the way they speak, but it's not, not like, like that. uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Not so you're confused about what's going on and mm-hmm. what sort of scenario this is in. Yeah, if you mm-hmm. were to jump into the middle of one of her scenes, for the most part, you'd be able to piece together what was going on mm-hmm. and probably wouldn't suddenly get like uh, uncomfortable pornographic imagery in your head of like what (laughs) what is this what are they talking about (laughs) apples what (laughs) devil daddy devil daddy yeah so while the mechanics of it weren't all that wrong which we didn't really talk about that anyway but just the way it was executed does not translate well in today's society we can't speak for way back then Mm -hmm. when it was originally published 
but at least for now it's really uncomfortable for us to read because it's just not how people interact in a, a typical mundane setting it's a very specific sort of setting so you want to make sure that the wordings that you use make sense for the scene that you're trying to portray yeah i agree with that well that about wraps us up for today so now we'll pass the question off to you guys what types of dialogue interactions do you struggle with most did you try any of our tricks from last week to improve your understanding of conversations let us know how they worked or didn't by joining our facebook group writers emerging or follow us on tumblr instagram and twitter links in the description we look forward to seeing you next week